The encounter between the Canaanite woman and Jesus was an unsettling one. And sometimes our encounters with Jesus have to be unsettling. Jesus and his disciples were in the Phoenician cities of Tyre and Sidon. Very ancient cities by Jesus' day, well over 1,200 years old each. Tyre had one of the best harbors in Phoenicia and was the center of commerce, renowned for the quality of the purple dye that was made there. Sidon was a trading city that also boasted a fantastic harbor and thrived on fishing and agriculture. These were fairly well-to-do communities. Both cities were on the edge of the territory of the Jewish tribe of Asher. Throughout the Old Testament, the Asherites seemed to be aloof in their relationships with the other Jewish tribes, which might explain why Jesus was in this predominantly Canaanite region to reach out to the lost children of Israel. The Canaanite woman, in our Gospel reading, obviously had contact with Jewish people, considering how she addressed Jesus in Jewish messianic language. Most likely she heard of his reputation. She took incredible risks. First, she dared to approach Jesus, a Jewish male, alone, which would have scandalized her people and would have scandalized Jesus' disciples. Second, she called out to Jesus using that distinctly Jewish messianic titles, Lord, Son of David, which would have offended the people of her religion. Third, by using Jewish messianic titles, she was publicly moving away from the gods and the goddesses of her Canaanite religion. But for her, none of that mattered. Why? She's a mom, and her daughter is in dire need of help. The Canaanites worship over 200 deities, including two gods for healing. Now, one could easily imagine that as her daughter's condition worsened, this woman prayed fervently to one god after another. If one god didn't help, she went down the list of the gods and the goddesses until she ran out of them. And she spiritually hit rock bottom. There are times when coming to faith can only occur when everything in one's life, everything one believed, falls apart. When all the falsehoods we've accepted as truth are shattered. Now, you would think Jesus would have been impressed. Instead, he was, well, antagonistic. As God, he knew full well what kind of distress this woman was in that she was taking a huge risk, exposing herself to the anger of her people. Jesus knows the distress that motivates you and me to go to him. The woman then did something she would have reserved for one of the statues of her gods or goddesses. She did Jesus what? Homage. Meaning she prostrated herself at Jesus' feet.
and pleaded, Lord, help me. She, in essence, revered Jesus as a God, publicly called him Lord, and acknowledged his divine authority. She probably thought, there. I put it all out there, Lord. That's as far as I can go. But it wasn't. Now, how did Jesus respond? He insulted her. He said it is not right to take the food of the children and throw it to the dogs. Let me ask you a question. When you and I are earnestly praying for something and there's no answer, are we tempted to give up? And do we usually do just that, give up? It is precisely when we are ready to throw in the towel, we must intensify our resolve. Why? I've learned that the lack of an answer is really a blessing. How? It purifies our prayer. It enables us to see what our true motivation is. The lack of an answer is a blessing that strips away our spiritual pride. It is interesting to compare the commentaries on this gospel reading from the ancient fathers of the church with those of some modern scholars. Now, the ancients didn't mince their words. Jesus called the Jews the children and non-Jews dogs. He called this woman a dog one of the most insulting things you could possibly say in the Middle East then and today. It can get you killed. Contrast that with some of our contemporary scholars who say, well, Jesus really didn't call her a dog because the word in Greek can also mean puppy. <laughs> oh, it's enough to make you vomit. There is no politically correct whitewash thick enough to change or hide the reality that Jesus called that woman a dog. So why did he? He wanted her to come to the truth that he and he alone is the Jewish Messiah who came to save all, that he is the only answer to her hope, that he cannot and he will not be reduced to just another one of the many deities she's accustomed to worshiping. That he alone is the source of healing she sought for her daughter. She did not disappoint Jesus. Most likely, while still lying on the ground, she said, Please, Lord, for even the dogs eat the scraps that fall from the table of their masters. There's an awful lot packed into that little sentence. First, most people by this point would have gotten angry, picked themselves up and said, oh yeah, Jesus, well to heck with you. Who do you think you are? She chose instead to surrender the anger that always comes from bruised pride and instead showed great humility by in essence admitting, yes, Jesus, I am a dog. Second, she acknowledged that the Jews were the children, the masters. Third, she trusted that the bounty of divine love was not restricted to a chosen race, but it's offered to all. And she rightly concluded that surely there must be a scrap 
of divine mercy for her daughter. Now let's pause for a moment. What are the gods or the goddesses we believe in, put our trust in, have as our ultimate hope, our ultimate source of happiness, devote all our time and energy to? Do we squeeze Jesus into our pantheon of gods and goddesses? Are they, for example, the god of pursuing the good life, the god of acquiring toys, the goddess of having everything my way, the goddess of I'm okay with God because I'm a good person, I don't need church, the demanding god of work, the goddess of religiosity that promises good feelings, the god of science that promises to answer all our questions and solve all the mysteries, the god of medicine that will restore our youth and even perhaps give us unlimited life in this world. Is Jesus then our god of desperation, the god of last resorts? And what happens when our false gods and goddesses fail us? When the good life doesn't turn out to be that good after all. When the acquisition of all our toys just leaves us empty. When getting our way is unmasked for what it truly is. An arrogance that has turned us into monsters. When our employer says that while he appreciates all our work, he has to let us go and all of a sudden we sense how vulnerable we are. We're only two or three paychecks away from being out on the street. Our very identity has been threatened. When religiosity is shown for what it is, an aberrant kind of magical thinking disconnected from reality. When science leaves us cold. When medicine meets its limits and nothing else can be done for us or for our loved ones. What or to whom do we turn? Do we pull out our personal interpretation of Jesus as our last-ditch effort? The Canaanite woman shows us what to do. Persevere in coming to Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. Be patient in hope. Humble ourselves before him, which means we cast away all our false gods and goddesses and implore the help of his divine mercy. And what we discover through this process, and it is a process, what I have discovered is that the prayer request is really not so much the issue, that there is now something wonderful that there wasn't before a relationship with Jesus that is more real, more powerful, more satisfying, more genuinely comforting than all the false gods and goddesses we devoted so much of our time and energy in pursuing and their false promises of happiness in Jesus we discover something far greater, far more precious,
joy even in the midst of our hardships.